Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, two cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Pinko Kami Scum Johnson. Well, we know who he's voting for in the next election. We're damn glad to have you, folks. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we welcome back Byron Lafayette. Byron Lafayette of 25 Well uh, and his other pursuit of ventures on social media uh, was uh, our guest last week talking about High Noon. And we kind of teased then and we wanted to follow it up now with uh, a companion episode with the searchers. We're kind of doing some dueling politics. So welcome back, Byron Lafayette. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Well, let's 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 say that you know, if the high noon episode actually came out, because <laughs> we had a lot of technical difficulties on that one. So yeah. if 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 it didn't, and we released this one, this is Byron's first appearance. Correct. And he'll, he'll be referencing a lot of shit from an episode that doesn't exist yeah. anymore, which in turn will make Byron do hashtag release the cinephile hiss Byron cut, yeah. and yeah. and the world will explode. Right, that that's just what we need. Him and our social media asses. That's gonna be. You know, what? actually, actually, you know what? Could you get us some followers? Could you pass some of that over here? Jeez, that'd be cool. All right, so folks, you, um, once again, our folks, our format is this: the recommending lover. Actually, in this case, our guest, our tie-breaking guest, will go first. Uh, Byron will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower his praise and state his high-minded case of what he's going for with the searchers. The hater or any lover of the two of us left between will and i will follow next with five interrupted minutes of our own to present our counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth or high praise after that we'll open it up for 15 minutes which will turn into three hours of shared discussion where the hissy fit really gets chippy folks we hope you got your judge's scorecard even though we have a tiebreaker guy but more than anything where do your politics land and where do you think the searchers fits next to high noon because folks it's on and we're going byron once again welcome back Go ahead and hit us up with going first here. I'll get the timer going, and we'll kind of hop right into it, because I know we'll have a nice, rich discussion at the end here. Hit it. All right. Well, yeah, you know, I just, The Searchers is probably my number one favorite Western of all time, and yeah, I've seen a, a lot of Westerns, and I have a lot of favorites, but uh, but this one is definitely my, my number one. Um, I think it's it's so rich in not only, like, you know, um, textual themes of characters and history and social messaging and filmmaking. It's just, it's everything. And what I'll start off with that. Um, one thing that I really love about this film is that it's, it's one of those ones that I like to describe as almost like um, a film as a painting almost that when you look at, at this movie, it, it, it um, John Ford uses a lot of like, you know, long frame shots and he has a lot of long scenes where he'll focus, where it almost feels like he focuses maybe a few seconds longer than he should in order to capture the scene. And I was commenting that when I was watching it, that I was like, there's dozens of moments throughout this movie that if you paused and you looked at it, you could like basically cut this image out and you could hang it on a wall. Like it just is beautiful. And it just feels like every frame of every shot that went into this movie was done with love. And not only that, but I also love the character of Ethan because he's so he's so flawed. You know, we were talking in the previous episode about like mythic Western heroes. And what I love about about the character of Ethan is that he's not that, you know, he's a flawed man in a flawed time. And what I especially love, too, is he doesn't go on a hero's journey. 
that like by the end of the movie, he's just as flawed as he was at the start, except that he's learned to accept a few extra things and he's made some right choices that have led him, the film indicates, onto a brighter future. But at the same point, you see, though, that he hasn't made any giant, enormous strides. And I really like that because I think it's just very different compared to the other films. Um, you know, and I also like, too, that this character is portrayed as a stoic, you know, strong man when, in fact, you look at him that he's actually the complete opposite of that, that he's a man who's been broken, you know, that throughout the film, you know, you get um, kind of like odes that possibly he was in love with his brother's wife. You know, there's like uh, glances between them when he comes back after the uh, after the massacre. She's the first name that he calls when he's going after her daughters. It was almost like they were he viewed them almost like his children. as Well, and it was just very interesting that there's a lot more layers to his character than a lot of people um, will give. Uh and um, uh, also, I would like to bring up, too, I got to bring up that the score in this film is just magnificent. Um, it's just, it's a real banger. And what I love is that um, John Ford uses the score so much to tell a story that, you know, right as the, um, the title of the film comes on, you get a huge, uh, you know, boom of the score going in before it goes into a more traditional Western song. And you also get so many moments within the film where he tells the story with that score. That, um, you know, you look at uh, Lucy's death and it's told in a moment with the score. Um, the farm in flames is told with a clash of that of those instruments. Um, you don't see the death of Lucy's boyfriend. You see him ride out of frame. You hear a few gunshots and then his death is marked by more instruments going off. It's it's very brilliantly done. Uh and also, we had mentioned this uh, before as well, that I liked that this was a deconstruction of the Western. And I think it's interesting that, you know, John, uh, John Wayne was kind of opposed to deconstruction of Westerns. But this film very much was that, you know, that he played a Confederate uh, soldier and he played a Confederate soldier who was not really heroic. You know, it's indicated he's an outlaw and he has some viewpoints that were uh, racist, you know, basically. And um, even though we see him overcome some of those. And it's just very interesting to see such a flawed character be the lead, especially in the 1950s, uh, when we were used to those heroes. And there's some more points that I'll go into uh, later on. Um, but uh, lastly, I'll say, too, that it's a film about vengeance. And it's a vengeance between two characters, that you see the story of Scar, who is after vengeance, and also Ethan, who is after vengeance. And you see those two roads of where they lead. And basically the choices that those two men made that end up leading to their ultimate fate. Oh, and I'll end there. oh no, I mean, if you're going to end there, I'll hit the bell. I didn't know that. <laughs> look, look, look at you going early again. Okay, sweet, sweet, sweet. I believe Will has chosen to go next. So if he unmutes and gets that going, he'll be good. To go. Hi. Well, uh, I like Byron's points a lot. Um, I tend to... Now, here's the thing. I believe, I haven't heard Don's point of view yet, but I am a lover of this film uh, with reservations. Um, now, I like that you say it's a deconstruction of the Western. I don't think it was intended that way. I think it's an accidental deconstruction of the Western. Um, and I say that because John Wayne's character, who I think is very interesting. Um, 
I think it is played straight. Like, I think this was considered how norm, like a normal hero would be. I don't think he's presented necessarily as someone with obvious flaws. I think that there is enough um, open racism in the United States at that point in time uh, that this would not exactly uh, uh, ruffle any feathers, personally, with a, a, go- a movie-going audience of the 50s. Um, I think that it's with more contemporary eyes that we look at the character and go, holy shit, this guy's kind of a villain. You know what I mean? He's brutal. I mean, at one point he shoots out a dead Native American's eyeballs because he's like, now he'll never go to heaven. Bye. You know, it's very brutal. And um, I think at the time it was John Wayne, and we talked about this with High Noon, showing what a real man of that time would be like. And taking it very seriously, I think only in retrospect do you realize, wow, how flawed of an anti-hero or villain is this character? Um, The only thing that I think, or I should say the thing that I think proves this theory is the very ending. Because I think that if this film was trying to say something about the awfulness of man... Uh, Ethan would complete his mission, which is to kill Natalie Wood at the end because she is no longer quote unquote human. She is now a Native American. I believe that the term is squaw. I don't know. So forgive me if that's some kind of pejorative term or something. I don't know. I, I believe that's what they are called when they were kidnapped and became part of the thing. So forgive me there if I'm insensitive about that. Um, it's just ignorance. But in the end, I think he has a very uncharacteristic change of heart because he definitely doesn't like Captain Christopher Pike from Star Trek, <laughs> Jeffrey Hunter. He definitely doesn't like him. I don't think that his point of view about, you know, being less of an asshole from Jeffrey Hunter ever got through to him because he seems to be the man he is. And at the very ending, when he decides, Let's go home, Debbie. Um, and he doesn't kill Natalie Wood, and he brings her home. Uh, he, I think that's almost like those filmmakers going, okay, we cannot make this guy that bad. Um, it's almost like a last-second change to make him completely not hateable, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think he gets worse and worse as time goes on. And um, and that's what makes it interesting. And I think it makes the, the final shot, which is a beautiful shot, framed perfectly, uh, you know, of him alone in the desert. He's dropped off Natalie Wood. Everyone's moving on without him. He's all alone. Uh, it's almost like he deserves that uh, aloneness because the next generation has moved on from his points of view, has moved on from that toxic masculinity, you know, has moved on from that overt racism and outlawishness if that's even a word so i think over time this film changes depending on the generation i think this was played straight and normal for the time and only gains deeper meaning as time goes on um i do agree Uh, i actually posted this on our instagram or maybe it was my instagram like i just posted a bunch of pictures from this film because it is utterly gorgeous. The mise-en-scene, as they say, is fantastic. It is picturesque. It is beautiful. It's probably one of the most gorgeous films ever made. Um, 
So there's you got that going for it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it is timeless in the sense that we are witnessing what masculinity is and how it evolves and our view of that and how it evolves over time as we move on. So that's it. 15 seconds early. Not bad. Not bad. All right. No, um, I tell you what, I'm going to be much like I'm going to echo where Will's coming here because this is a movie I, I, yes, I have a poster of it on my wall down here in the man cave, mainly because it's gorgeous. And so this is a movie that I appreciate more than I really uh, love. I'm not going to say I hate it, but it's, it's, I watch it to enjoy how it looks, but I don't go much deeper than that. And yeah, I have to echo what you folks have said. You know, it is easily uh, one of the most beautifully shot movies, if not the most beautifully shot movie ever. Like it's, if it's not top five of best cinematography and how to shoot outdoor landscapes and to trade some day for night and just the, the to, to do that in 1956 the way they do with not a matte picture in sight, that's really impressive. And I, 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 t- I can I will endlessly tip my hat to that because that's kind of where that is. But the movie loses me every time I watch it. It loses a little more, at least because. Some of it is the problematic this and that about it. Some of it is its length. Like Jeffrey Hunter does nothing for me. He is <laughs> just—he's just a character I could care less if he's there along the ride. I along for the ride. I get why he's there from an archetype standpoint, where you got to have somebody be the the representative of the younger generation that wasn't at that war that John's character was at. And I get that. And he's going to age and then blow it with his girl. But even though that's cartoonishly done for the dumb, you know, dirt filled brawl and like, just tell the girl you love her and stay around for a while. Let John go, go on his quest. What do you really need to do to hang around with that? Like just, just decision-making things there, but that's Jeffrey Hunter. He's also not the best actor in the whole wide world there. Great blue eyes, but that's about it. Um, Ward Bond helps this movie for me because that's a, that's a good, I don't want to say surly side guy, but you, you kind of need that one Barker character that kind of pushes, pushes a scene into another realm of just emotionality, even if it's just a reactionary thing where he helps. And yeah, John Wayne, don't get me wrong. This is John Wayne being john wayne and definitely later career because 56 is after where his prime was but i gotta go with will i i I don't feel like this is a a deconstruction only or if it is a deconstruction i'm with you it's accidental and it happens it feels like that because of where we are now and where westerns have been perceived and maybe because of movies like high noon where if you're really going to deconstruct it, you still can't do a john wayne movie um and or if you want a real deconstruction of a Western, you got to wait another, you know, 35 years to get to Clint doing it in Unforgiven. So no, for this movie. Yeah. It, like I, I, I'm, I'll be honest. I watched it last night and I fell asleep for the, for like 15 minutes of it in the middle where <laughs> it just, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an arduous quest. It's, it's a meaningful one. I, I, I will grant that, but it, it, it there and it, it's a Jeffrey Hunter part that throws like I, that's where I'm asleep every time, but no, um, I appreciate it. I, I respect this place in history. You know, hand every gold medal you want to the cinematography and to the direction to put that together. You know, and you hear the influences of what this movie has been, and I tip my hat. You know, when you hear about like David Lean watching this movie repeatedly. 
to prepare for Lawrence of Arabia a couple years later to give him a sense of how to shoot a landscape, mm-hmm. he came to the right place. Um, and now that we're coming from high noon and, and where politics are, I'm not normally one of those people that takes a movie with antiquated politics and, and, and poo-poos it today. Like I will never be a person that, that shoots down gone with the wind because of whatever <laughs> Southern bullshit people want to sling on or, or, you know, the revisionist history that people want to put to movies like that. And I know eras and movies have done that for a very long time. We're in the positive end of it too, you know, where movies that were, were forgotten and thought of as trite or something different that they than they were then are are heralded now. I mean, look no further than It's a Wonderful Life, which was, you know, just kind of forgotten as something silly. And then you have something like Vertigo, which was too weird, but now all of a sudden it's the Ichi of all things, where I get this movie's place in history and I respect this movie's place in history. It is nowhere near my favorite or Western. It's the best looking Western you will ever find in your life for sure. But I need, I don't know, I, I the the villainous edge of John Wayne, I I'm with Will again. It, it, that's a villain and not something. It's harder to root for, and that's where I'll go back to a movie like Shane, where I I can take a simpler thing and and a, and a and the righteousness of that, and that's that's something I'll go for more than another John Wayne thing. But here I am, one show later, are agreeing with Will when he normally thinks <laughs> I don't agree with him. So when he unmutes, huh. go from there. All I'm right, that's five. Um, right. Real quick, I, I just this well, is something. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's all take a breath here for a second. We will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. The year is 2043. You're playing fantasy football. It is championship week. You're trying to set your lineup and you don't know what to do. Robert Griffin IV and his top target, Will Fuller VI, have carried you all season, but they're facing a London Jaguars team that has the top defense in the league. Your other quarterback is a 66-year-old Tom Brady who's playing against the much more manageable Toronto Bengals. So you turn to Nick and Elijah of the 25 Yards Later podcast, a production of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. Be a champion. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Here's something I was looking at um, while you were talking because I wasn't listening. Um, I did the same when you were talking. I went and peace. This, <laughs> this is this is what's amazing to me. Zero Academy Award nominations for this film. Correct. Zero. Yeah, that blows yeah, my mind. That's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Well, one thing we were talking about, I think we mentioned it in the high noon episode. And I want to get your guys' opinion on this, especially because I think the film from a character perspective doesn't age well. I know that Byron had mentioned that he thinks it's a deconstruction where me and Don feel that it's accidental. Um, The searchers had gone from the AFI list. It was originally on the AFI 100 years, 100 movies list in 1997 at number 96. When it was redone 10 years later, which included taking out a bunch of films and adding newer, more contemporary ones, things like that. It moved up from 96 to 12. Yeah. So, so basically the AFI, instead of just acknowledging that it's one of the greatest American films, it's pretty much putting it almost in the top 10 of all time list. Yeah. What happened in those 10 years that made them go, okay, it's near the bottom of the top 100, and now it's almost in the top 10. 
I'll, I'll theorize first because I think I'll be looser and goosier about it than, than Byron will. Byron will have a really good heady answer. I'll have a dumb answer. <laughs> um, my answer is, and I see this a lot with this, the film bro side of people, the cinephile side of people, the film critic side of people. I hang around way too many pretentious critics who you give them a pretty picture and that's all that matters. And they'll they'll put that higher than a coherent or engaging story or admirable performances and things like that. I think this movie moved up from 96 to 12 because cinematography is something people circle jerk about and need to have be super important. And, and it's not to say cinematography isn't super important, but a movie just can't look good. It's got to back it up with the rest of it. And I'll, I'll be a dick and I'll say this. Terrence Malick movies, gorgeous, dumb as fuck. P.T. Anderson movies. Yeah, but no, um, P.T. Anderson movies, gorgeous, wayward as fuck. You know, you get to a Coen Brothers movie, shot well and gorgeous, wayward as fuck. Even way, even Wes Anderson movies, his symmetry and sense of style, unique, different, stylish wayward as fuck but to the pretentious critics out there the unfortunately the people i meet and i can name drop you people in the show who will never listen to our show and never come on our show they all work for rogereber.com they know who they are um <laughs> those those assholes that, that to, <laughs> seriously to them if Making it's pretty if yeah i know if they already don't like me um if it's pretty <laughs> They're, they just they fall for it. They fall for Yorgos Lanthimos and his styles of movies. They fall for PTA. They fall for Malik. They fall for David Lowry and The Green Knight. And where, yeah, they, a pretty picture will gobsmack them enough to be like, well, that that's it right there, you know. And they just they just circle jerk over a pretty picture. And I get why. I get why because the Searchers looks 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 great, but gosh. That I can't put all of a picture on looks, N- no more than I can women in desserts. So I, that's my theory of why it moves up is purely cinematography. And because I think if someone were to really sit down and go problematic themes, because that's the next 10 years someday, it's going to be all the cancel culture. It's going to be like, well, you can't like the searchers because German guys are playing Native Americans and women have shit to do. And versus something like high noon where i think the leftist thing will will push it up a little higher that's my theory is pretty pictures and yeah pretty pictures well uh, okay thank first of all i can unclench my butthole now because i was waiting for the blade runner 2049 criticism which thankfully you yeah. didn't do because i almost you, made one that's on the list of pretty pretty it's it's yeah Anyway, I can keep going. So I can keep nope, going. That's shut up, Byron! Shut up! Shut up, Byron! <laughs> shut up, Don! Thankfully, it wasn't mentioned, and I can relax now. All right, Byron, I, your theory. Byron, go. <laughs> Byron, Don't go. say uh, anything bad about Roger Deakins. Or punch no, no, in the here's, face. Uh, I, here's the thing: the cinematography is undoubtedly good, but there's more to a movie than cinematography. I agree, and Blade Runner okay. doesn't fit your example, so that's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. I was going to ask. Uh, um, <laughs> I was going to ask. Well, if you could go back, um, what was the year that uh, that AFI um, that it jumped up into number twelve? What was that? Ninety-seven oh. to two thousand seven. Yep, okay. that's the one. So it was ten year. It was a ten year update. They, I believe, they took out like sixteen films and added yeah. thirteen new ones. Yeah, they added a couple of yeah. 
they they added a couple of contemporary ones like uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, which totally deserves it, uh, and some other things. But um, yeah, the, it was nineteen. It was two thousand seven. They updated the list. Mm-hmm. One theory that I have possibly about um, <clears throat> about why it jumped up as well is that uh, is basically because of John Wayne and his character. That you know, John Wayne, you know, and I enjoy John Wayne movies. You know, like I said, I they were what I watched all the time growing up. But, you know, the thing is, he played a lot of the same character over and over again, you know, whether it be his World War Two movies, his Westerns, especially his World War Two movies. I mean, they were they were the same character copy and pasted in films. Um, and there was a few movies, though, that he really did show more range. And I would say, you know, you have some of them like Quiet Man, uh, you know, you see uh, True Grit. And then, you know, you see like different roles that were different than what he normally did, which is also like the Searchers, in my opinion. And I wouldn't be surprised if possibly when AFI went to uh, re-up the list, basically, that it was kind of like looking at him possibly in a different light, you know, mm-hmm. looking at him as an Oscar-winning you know, actor who actually had some depth to him, who could pull out these good performances. And basically seeing like, you know, looking, re-looking over these movies and being like, hey, you know, yeah, he's done, you know, 200 Western, whatever. But it's like, wow, this one is different than most of the other ones he did. You know, this was like you said, where he's a villainous character, like he's not a good guy. And, you know, and I would venture to say John Ford wasn't making him a good guy either. Like he was he was meant to be exactly who he was. And that kind of stands out above all of his other mythic roles he's done over the years. I can yeah I mean I agree with that but what I'm I think what I'm saying and maybe Don is also saying to to degree is I think the character John Wayne is playing was not considered that deep of a character at the time because mm-hmm. it was more acceptable to be kind of a racist mm-hmm. tough ass yeah. and now seeing it in contemporary eyes yeah. I think that's when we go oh, that character seems pretty layered because they have yeah. the balls to show such a dick. But then we realized that wasn't really their intention. They were just making a movie. Like, they, you sure. know, like it wasn't their intention to make him. Like, I, the, the only example I can come up with off the top of my head, and this might be a weird example, kind of like what Don was doing last episode, is <laughs> uh, the movie uh, Young Young Adult with um, uh-huh. Charlize Theron. That movie right. purposefully makes... Charlie's their own in that movie, an awful person. And that's kind mm-hmm. of the point of the movie. Yeah. I don't think that's what they're doing here with the searchers. I think you no. only see that later. They wanted a rugged hero. I think another I think another thing you gotta take into account between 1997 and 2007 is look where our country is. That that is six years after 9-11. It was okay to get all nationalistic and hate mm-hmm. other colored people. We were high jingoism, still kind of are. And it, maybe it was okay and cool to want to have an American hero again, even a hateful one. Mm-hmm. So I that could be a thing that pings it too. Because if you look at '97, that's you know high in the hog '90s Clinton. You know our heroes then were just just softer. Or mm-hmm. not, I don't want to say softer. The heroes were heroes were a little more rougher. We hadn't had our full anti-hero movement of superhero characters yet, and it just it, yeah. 97 was our I would, Will and I like to reference those 90s programmers you were making completely different movies then and then all of a sudden 
you know, by the time you do Harry Potter and you do Lord of the Rings, by by the time you get to 07 and even some of the comic movies, the world's a bigger, grander place where heroism is cool again. And now we have heroism in an age where we're trying to go get the people who are who stole our kids and daughters too, only the ones with planes and buildings. So some of that yeah, is in a play too. That's actually a great do, point, Don. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do want to uh, make another thing about John Wayne too. Um, when we say he's an Oscar-winning actor, um, that is complicated in itself because when he won mm-hmm. in 1969, we're talking about you know this confluence of uh, maybe that confluence isn't the right word. This kind of smashing together of eras of Hollywood. Yeah. So when you look at who was nominated that year, the year that he won. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is definitely the dying classic Hollywood versus the new age. You have yeah. John, John Wayne beat out. And I think you could say with many of these people, they're better actors, but you had John Wayne beat out Dustin Hoffman, John Voight, Peter mm-hmm. O'Toole and Richard Burton. Now Richard Burton and John Wayne, maybe kind of of that older variety versus this new thing, 1969, also the same year. Yeah. Easy Rider came out. So True Grit kind of feels like this old school throwback to Hollywood that I think the Oscars kind of dig. And they yeah. were like, we're not going to give it to these upstarts. Let's just honor John Wayne. And, and True Grit is a, is a great film. But mm-hmm. whenever somebody says Oscar winner, John Wayne, I'm always like, eh. yeah, because like, it doesn't feel earned to me. Like, it's almost like they gave him an Oscar just for being an, a cinema icon. And, and we I'm have like, seen that. We've seen that in the Oscars for decades. Mm-hmm. They love now, those. They love those career capper older awards. You know. Now, now, first of all, a lot of people that are John Wayne fans are going to be like, well, "What about Al Pacino?" Everyone agrees Al Pacino should have won like seventeen Oscars by oh, the yeah. time he finally won for Scent of a Woman. Uh-huh. People say that about Scorsese he should have won before he won for The Departed, which is a terrible yep. film. Um, so. It happens, but I just as soon as you said that, like my eyeball twitched. I was like, "Oh, Oscar yeah. winner John Wayne," because it just doesn't feel right in my ears. So, <laughs> well, no, you're right though. The world wasn't ready because when you're talking about Dustin and John, that's Midnight Cowboy, and that's a mm-hmm. you know X-rated movie that was the upstart of upstarts. Which, yeah, we look at now as being what? Wow, what an upstart! What a what a great you know pusher for the new age. But look at the western still win. So, and the old man. No, and I think. And I think the point you guys make of, you know, the Oscars will often give awards to people in a year, maybe where they don't 100% deserve it. And since I, I am known as a hot take person, I, I will drop at least one hot take here. Um, one example that I think <laughs> that I that we could use for this would be Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies. Thank I do you. not for one well, second believe that, well, that his Mark performance was not his Sylvester Stallone was robbed. <laughs> Fuck Mark Rylance. I hate that actor. I fucking hate him. I will never watch him in anything. Fucking that Sly deserved that Oscar. I'm sick, of hiding, I'm sick of putting this in my heart every time I hear Mark Rylance's <laughs> name. I want to go murder like a bag of kittens and smash a baby's <laughs> tail in the face with a bag of them. Screw Mark Rylance! <laughs> so, Byron, were you saying you like Mark Rylance or don't like Mark Rylance? I just got the volcano you know, update there for a second. Oh, no. Um, yes, uh, I was saying basically that I think that's an example of an Oscar that was not earned. I agree. Um, I'm a I do, you know, 100% yeah. Stallone guy that year. Should have won. Yeah. And yeah, that's from I, the cinephile I, fancy pants critic over here. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, um, one one thing to kind of go back to a little bit uh, when we were talking about, you know, whether or not this was a deconstruction film or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, like one one thing in defense of why I think it possibly was uh, is that I do feel that John Ford was in the habit of slipping in deconstruction type films into films that otherwise didn't appear to be. OK, um, OK. And two and two examples that I feel kind of lean into that in his Western um, entourage are um uh, Cheyenne Autumn, which was, I want to say, his last film he directed, um, which was very much a deconstruction of American policy of the West and looking at it from a Native American viewpoint. Uh, and then also in a film that I want to say was before The Searchers, I'd have to double check, uh, Fort Apache with um, uh, Henry Fonda, which was very much a deconstruction of the heroic cavalry officer, basically, yeah. where, you know, where, I mean, you have, you know, Henry Fonda's character is just like, for all intents and purposes, he's a dick, <laughs> you know, yeah. and four you know, Apaches and, and 48. Mm-hmm. So you're right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, you know, you see him like forcing the fight into the native Americans who didn't want it. And then you basically see, you know, John Wayne is of course his stoic hero in that. Such. Mm-hmm. But, um, but so I feel like, I feel like, you know, the searchers can exist in those type of films in that it feels like John Ford wasn't brave enough to go full deconstruction, like high mm-hmm. noon, that it feels like, he maybe believed in some of these things and he wanted to include it, but at the same time he wanted to please audiences. So yeah. he kind of slipped in a few areas, you know, it, it's in the same vein of when I say that, that gone with the wind has so much deconstruction of the quote unquote Southern gentleman, you mm-hmm. know, and there's like, there's so much elements in there of making stuff, you know, that, you know, so many people, like you said, you know, will be like, praising certain elements of maybe like Rhett or whatever. And you're like, no, he was not framed as a good guy <laughs> in this movie. Right, right. And I feel like, I and I feel like kind of that way with the searchers in some ways that whether or not John Wayne was viewing this as, as a villainous character, I feel like John Ford a hundred percent was framing him in that way. Mm, that's um, interesting. You know, I, I could that see that. I could see, yeah. I could see Wayne being, you know what? I just want to be tough and be my toughest, hardest I've ever been. And then John's like, mm-hmm. okay, I got a way to do that. And then, mm-hmm. And then yeah, yeah keep, and then break it keep, down. Two points about that. Keep in mind, this is the John Wayne that said in a Playboy interview, I think in 1970, that he believed in white supremacism until the black people can get it worked out. So that's why I'm saying I don't really yeah. think he thinks this is a bad thing. Now, the other thing I find I really interesting, we talked about um, High Noon um, and mm-hmm. how what's almost as fascinating as the film is the politics behind it, the behind the scenes thing, how it affected society afterwards. Uh, and on a smaller level, I think of that with the searchers as well, because one thing I find very fascinating, and I'm not like an expert on either John Ford or John Wayne at all, but I am aware of some of the bigger parts of their history. What I think is very interesting is that John Ford, who enlisted even at an older age, in World War II and was really, really cruel to John Wayne about the fact that John Wayne did not, mm. even though John Wayne was in all of these, uh, you know, gung-ho military things and became yeah. this poster boy, poster boy of masculinity. The, their, their relationship is very fascinating. So I, I wonder if in a way, and maybe I'll reverse my stance here, maybe in a way, John Ford is deconstructing it by basically saying, here's your hero. Mm. What an asshole. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, I agree. like he's, he's basically saying, you know, so I mean, I'm going to reverse my opinion. You know what? I'm going to reverse it. I, I actually think it is a little deconstructed because 
John Ford, like Ooh. you can you can you can hear stories about John Ford like literally embarrassing John Wayne on the sets of movies for being like a coward. Mm-hmm. Um so I do like this idea of John Ford making this beautiful, quote unquote, typical Western. Everybody kind of thinks of the searchers when they think of a Western, but filling it in with this quote unquote hero who is really kind of a scam artist. He's really like, <laughs> he, he fought for the wrong side. He on in the civil war, he's kind of an outlaw. He's a racist. He's a freaking murderer. He hates people. And, and that's why I think at the end when he's all alone, he fucking deserves it. Like that last shot. I'm just mm-hmm. like, good, goodbye. Like, see you later. Everyone moves on and is happy without you. Um, so, you know what, I, I, you know, Byron, I think I'm going to, I'm going to switch. I think, Ooh, I, I think I'm going to switch. Job, Byron. <laughs> Byron, good job. I, I'm going to switch it. You know what? I think based on their relationship, I'm going to switch it that it is, I'm not going to say that it, that the intention was outright deconstruction, but yeah, I, I think it's very easy for John. Of it. I think it's very easy for John Ford who knew that, uh, John Wayne is his cash cow because they were in what like 17 movies together. Yeah, yeah. But also he hated his personal stance on things. It was very easy for him to make John John Wayne a horrible person. Interesting. In this movie. I I will I'll buy that to I, I yeah I, because I said I did I, I buy that that the director's on a different agenda than the actor. I don't know if it it doesn't improve the film for me. I mean don't get me wrong, fine film and all that, but I. It's not the twelfth best film of all time. Come on, twelfth best. No, yeah. I don't think. I don't think it's twelfth either. And yeah. uh, I mean, I think it has to be mentioned in the list. That's why I oh, think no. 90, yeah. 96 is a perfect position. But um, I'm going to pull up um, the uh, the list of some of the films that got kicked off. Um, I remember this list of like which ones left? I forget. There's about 16 films I think that got kicked off. Let me. I'm gonna pull it up. So I'll throw a quick little note while we're waiting here. So the cinematography, which we all love, was by Winton C. Koch, and he, at the time he was a two, th- three-time Oscar winner. One of them was for technical achievement. Two were for straight-up cinematography. Um, he was nominated and won the Oscar this very year. But just not for the searchers. It was for the Quiet Man, and it was his last Oscar of his career. That's interesting. Yeah, and another All John right. Wayne vehicle. So. All right, so here's here's films to me. There's 23 films that were removed in 2007. Okay, um, some of these I get it. <laughs> like Birth of a Nation was removed. Okay, I get uh-huh. it. It's a horribly <laughs> racist that. film. Yeah. I get yeah. it. Um, but appreciate the filmmaking, but it, but it has it. Yeah, but it has its place in history, and I get uh-huh. it. You know. Exactly, exactly. Here's films that I think are better films than The Searchers that were kicked off. Okay, uh, I'm not going to list all 23, but these are films notable to me. Yeah. Uh, well, first, well, interestingly, if Stagecoach was removed, even though that might be a more influential Western in terms of mm. changing what mm-hmm. Westerns became in the 30s. Uh, let's see, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, uh, The oh, Third wow. Man, Amadeus. Yeah. Uh, American in Paris, uh, Giant, uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Frankenstein yeah. was kicked off. Uh, the Jazz Singer. Um, guess who's coming to dinner? Um, those are just a, that one. Yeah, those are, those are a couple. Uh, and it's not like they did a um, a huge shift with modern movies. They only added four films between 1996 and 2006. That was fellowship of the ring, saving private Ryan Titanic 
and the sixth sense. Hold on a second. Um, you didn't you didn't say the thin red line. I don't think Are it's on sure? the list. Is it? No, good. <laughs> I was making a mallet joke, Dan. <laughs> fucking dickhead. Cool. Well, that's funny because you're not fucking funny. So I, w- I wish James Hammer could hear you right now, dog. Oh, I know. He'll <laughs> yeah, he'll listen to the show. Now, uh, however, I think that they did an interesting job. They added a lot of films that I think should have been on there in the first place, like The Last mm-hmm. Picture Show, yeah. Do the Right Thing, Blade Runner, uh, mm-hmm. Spartacus, All the President's Men, In the Heat of the Night, um, uh, Nashville, uh, stuff like that. Uh, Shawshank Redemption was added on The Twelve Angry Men. So it's like they they... I guess what I'm saying is they, they did a good job reevaluating the list and maybe they took off a couple that deserved to be taken off, whatever, overrated, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, like Fargo was on there and they took that off. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but, but then they moved searchers up like 87 spots. It's like, what the hell yeah. is going on? I'm confused. So definitely is, but, a, is a large jump. Like I don't, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's my favorite Western and I think it, there's a, there's a case. I don't know if I would say a hundred percent if it's the best Western ever made, just because I love high noon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. but I definitely am not, I, I kind of agree with you guys. I don't see it as like the 12th best film of all time. No, um, right. you know, I don't see it as that, um, you know, definitely. Cause I think as you guys said, you know, there is problematic elements to the film that I think do drag it down. Um, and, uh, you know, actually, one, one point I'll actually bring up since I just brought up the problematic elements that, that I do want to bring up, because this is what everybody brings up all along, is obviously kind of the whitewashing of, of a mm-hmm. scar. Um, yeah. You know, and I think it's a very interesting point. And, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, because I'm, I'm very fascinated by, like, Native American culture. And you know, I've done a lot of reading. And my family has, like, some uh, has a Blackfoot um, past. Um, there's a okay. whole story with that it's quite it's quite interesting my my family on that side were mormons and you know the mormons believed that the native americans were uh, lost tribes of israel so there was a huge amount of intermarrying with that and my family uh, on my mom's side was one of the ones that intermarried so how about so that? it was actually very very interesting so i i find a lot of portrayal of native americans very interesting in films and i like to look at it and and i have to admit you know it, it did always bother me kind of having scar uh you know being you know a german white dude um and one thing though that i found interesting and i always wondered about and i and i don't know if it's accurate or not is because you know john ford was was known for using native american actors in in a lot Mm -hmm. of his films and he Mm -hmm. had a a huge amount of them with speaking roles too which is very unusual like you would have them with like whole scenes you know talking right and you didn't you didn't see that in a lot of westerns they were very much the villainous you know these the villainous other guys you know yeah um and so i always kind of wondered kind of like why did on Ford cast this guy in this role because it's not like he was a famous actor either. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, oh, we need a, a name cast. And I know John Ford was a student of history and it, it, it kind of made me wonder if it was purposeful because um, there was a book that I read, um, I believe it was called Empire of the Summer Moon and it was um, a history of the Comanche uh, Indian tribe. Uh, All right. And, um, and uh, I apologize if I offended anyone saying Indian there. <laughs> um, uh, but it was a uh, it was a history, so maybe they can edit that part out. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but it was interesting because this book talked all about the culture of the Comanche. And one thing that was very interesting that I found is that the most famous war chief of the Comanche nation was actually a dude who was half white. Um, okay. it, it was a uh, Quana Parker. Um, he was the son of a uh, of a uh, captive who was captured and um, 
and he ended up becoming their most famous war chief. Um, and he had like a, you know, it was just very interesting. And it almost made me wonder a little bit if kind of Scar was modeled after Quana a little bit because okay. there was elements that were very similar of him being very famous at the time. You know, the raids that he led, the cavalry, mm -hmm. you know, constantly being after him, which were all what, uh, all uh, characteristics of, of, um, of Quana. So I don't know. So it made me wonder if that was in the back of, of John Ford's mind, especially because Quana Parker became very famous uh, after he went to a reservation. He became almost kind of like a Native American activist and, um, and a bunch of stuff. And so I don't know. So, so it was well, kind of a point that made me wonder. Yeah, cool note, Byron. Cool note. Uh -huh. No, the, so this is cool because you actually did some research and, and that kind of explains things. I think in this current day and age, we automatically go to the extreme where we oh, go where we go with the searchers, we go, oh, well, uh, of course they're going to have the Native Americans capture a bunch of white people. Yeah. But technically this story is based on a true story of that happening. Yeah. So there is a little bit of like, yes, could you depict Native Americans as something other than this frightening other? Yes. <laughs> but it's not like this was unhurt. Like they're not making right. it. Up. It's not like the deer hunter where they were like, oh, oh the yeah. Where the Vietnamese just happened to play Russian roulette with their prisoners, which never uh -huh. happened. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's kind of a but it you looks know, there cool is, in a movie. Yeah, there, there is a little basis of truth in that. Now, I wanted to ask you a question about we're gonna I'm gonna sidetrack just a teeny bit, but it is, does Before. bring up some interesting things. You're talking about a white actor or a German or whatever playing a Native American. Where does the responsibility fall? Because I'm gonna use two major examples Ooh. here that have happened recently. Uh, we had Tilda Swinton and Dr. Strange who played the ancient one, which was uh, originally a um, Asian character. Um, and you had Scarlett Johansson in, I believe it was ghost in the machine, which was originally mm -hmm. an Asian character. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people, not so much on Tilda Swinton because uh, I think she's more well liked than Scarlett is in general. I think people like to like jump on Scarlett Johansson a lot. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, is that, she just said, Hey, I'm doing the job that I was hired to do. You know, like she, yeah. she didn't do it out of spite or because she's a racist, but is it the actor's responsibility to say no, or is it the studio or the people behind it to say, let's not make that move. Like whose responsibility is that in the end? Because when it came to Tilda Swinton, people were kind of like on Marvel, like going against Marvel. But when it came to ghost in the shell, everyone was anti Scarlet on that one. So I'm just interesting hmm. what your take on that is. You know, that's actually a really great point. Um, you know, and because I think that, you know, there is, you know, I think there's a bit of shared responsibility of on both sides, you know, between mm -hmm. actor and studio. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, to the role as well um, and how it's being written and like, kind of like what the, what the background of it is you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you know because like one example i can use is like natalie portman's character in annihilation um yeah that you know her the original novel character was asian however okay. that it wasn't revealed to be asian until book two and this was based off of book one so there uh, is a case sure. that could be made of it's like well yeah, okay I whatever you know there's a little yeah i was stuff. gonna say because i read that book and i do not remember mm -hmm. her being asian <laughs> in that book yeah. so yeah. yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't a cultural aspect of her character. I want to say it yeah. was an offhand, you know, remark. So in something like this, okay, there's some wiggle room. You know, um, I think when it comes down to, you know, like, you know, the ancient one and stuff like that, um, you know, I feel like it is the studio's responsibility, but at the same time, I think that 
you know, an actor coming down to it, you know, they also have a bit of responsibility of how they want to be portrayed. As well, you know, you know, because a perfect example that I can use for this is with the, um, <laughs> the abysmally terrible Hellboy uh, that came out a few years ago. Mm. Hey, um, hey, <laughs> hey, get him, get him, uh, um, That the there was a British actor, it was um, Ed Skirin, um, uh-huh. who was cast. I cannot remember the role he was cast in. Yeah, um, but the character was a person of color, and mm-hmm. he found out about it. He didn't know. You know, there was a lot of backlash, and he came out on social media and said, "Hey, I just accepted the role. I knew nothing of." background Mm -hmm. when i found out about it he pulled out and he said hey you know what this should go to a person of color and um the one of the actors from hawaii 50 took on the role and did a a good job cool cool thing about ed screen is like he's Mm -hmm. in a biracial marriage which is kind of fun too Mm -hmm. like he he gets it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but i'll I'll echo before this gets too lost i'll echo i think it's studio first like hey you know your guys are the ones shaping and forming the material creating the optics there's been enough of these controversies over the years where you would think you could let this test the optics before you <laughs> make a dumb decision and then yeah th- there is a piece that comes to the actor because scarlet do you need that meal ticket like it, I, I understand struggling actors who are just trying to get you know, it's to scrap and uh, get parts and, and try different things. Like we've seen a lot of risky parts done by actors when they were younger, when they were just trying to get in, uh, but Scarlett doesn't need that help, you know? And it's especially but, because that film was actually portraying the Asian culture. Oh, it wasn't like it was That's a why, Western remake you know, yeah. or something. But so. the, I, I, I'm with Byron studio first, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, cool. Well, I'm glad we went on that segue because that's that is an interesting thing that we still have pop up in the news today oh, because you always, always yeah. you always there's always will. a thing about but and I also should add that back when they made the searchers now mm-hmm. what I like about mm-hmm. Byron doing the research is maybe there was some deep research into this. However, also at that time, you know, you also had John Wayne playing Giga's Con, so it's not like <laughs> I know, you know oh my it's, God. It, it's uh-huh. not like they they might have given it a second thought. You know what I mean? So yeah. <laughs> Oh, and that was I think such a bad movie. I think I oh, <laughs> th- the thing is like is it it to film the film it's whether it's and you can see this with different responses from different audiences it's like at what point does that give you pause like I understand if you actors should be able to act and portray and become characters and all that stuff like that I I get all that and I have a lot of friends Byron you know some of these mutual people who like who will who just don't question that like let actors act if they want to play what they want to play let them play it like they're going for a challenge but there's a but there's a missed point of opportunity and representation and appropriateness that that ceases to be a challenge it's now just you know allocation and it's just a different thing yeah and that's why i give i give tilda swinton a little bit of a pass because if you wanted to be quote unquote uh faithful to the original yeah, uh, Asian uh, representation of the comic books <laughs> of the uh, time that that character is based off of, it would be the most racist thing ever made. So yeah. it's like, it's kind of like, I almost like say with Marvel, they're like, let's try to make this as uncontroversial as possible. And then on accident, they fell into the controversy. You know what I mean? Because they I were mean, just like, we don't, yeah. we don't want it to be Fu Manchu. You know what I mean? Like, no, we want to try I, to but- make this... But character, but yeah, character with a yeah, ancient character with a sage presence. Who do you think of? Uh, You know, a a mature, wonderful British actor. Nothing wrong with that. Like, 
if they could have got Tony Leung six years earlier, great. Yeah, but they had to wait for Shane Chi for that. All right, guys, well, we're getting we're getting <laughs> right, to right. the 15 minute mark. Circle circle the closing thoughts on the searchers because we got to put some put a. Well, I just want I just wanted to add that thankfully we don't have the um, Native American that Native American stereotypes that existed all the way up to Predator, where the guys like touching the ground and going. I sense something, you know, yes, it's like, I know. thank yeah, God man. that's over. Thank <laughs> so. God. Oh. <laughs> oh, I know it. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Closing thoughts, Byron. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, I think we've had a great conversation and I think that, uh, you know, you guys, you know, you guys, uh, opened my eyes to some good, some, some good, uh, points to this film that made me, you know, double think a couple of things. Um, and I think that, uh, I think what we can all agree on is that, you know, this film is gorgeous looking, um, mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, and you know, as Don said, probably, you know, one of the most beautiful films of all time. Uh, and, uh, also I think that it does stand the test of time of having a good story and, um, showcasing, you know, John Wayne in a role that wasn't quite like he, uh, used to be in, um, you know, but it's also a problematic film and it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a film that's going to be debated, you know, for, for years to come. And I think that it's, uh, rightfully should be debated in a, in a lot of the points and a lot of the narrative elements to it. I agree um, with you there, you know, and, uh, and I think that, that sometimes, you know, um, you know, this may be a bit controversial to say, but sometimes some of the best films are ones that evoke strong emotions and strong reactions from people. And, uh, and I think that the searchers will continue to evoke strong reactions. And as I said, it should in a lot of ways. And I hope that it is still being talked about 50 years from now. Well, Byron, I do want to thank you for saying that I opened your eyes to new perspectives because I hear it all. I hear it all the time, especially from Don, but it never gets old. So thank you for that. Anyways. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Byron. I think that, um, now, do I think do I think it's going to make an eighty four uh, ranking jump? No, um, I think it's worth being on the list because it is a film that, um, and we kind of mentioned this with Birth of a Nation being something that is important in film history, even if the content is horrid. Mm-hmm. Um, Searcher is not quite as offensive, but still offensive. But uh, you know, it it is important uh, not only because it represents a, a actor at his height of popularity and iconography uh not only because it's one of the greatest directors directing one of his most visually impressive films but it does age constantly like it every generation every decade can review it and see it in a different light and i think that's why it will always remain um if we're not going to say a great film let's say important film I agree. Like that, that this film is not going away. It has too strong of too many examples of fantastic Western motifs while being the best looking one of its genres. So yeah, Will, you said your part, you know, you have an actor of that genre at the peak of their powers. You have the motifs of the era at the peak of its, you know, uh, deconstructive powers. We can grant that to Byron as well. And yeah, when you have a movie that looks that good and can be taken, you know, and can be studied and reviewed forever to be just a time capsule example of filmmaking, yeah, this movie's not going anywhere. It, whether it's going from twelve to ninety six or ninety six to twelve, it, it's it's yeah, 
it, it deserves the the hall of very good and hall of fame that it gets to be for sure. But I'm going to fall asleep next time I watch it, just like last time. <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey Hunter, thanks, buddy. I, I How give dare you besmirch Christopher Pike? Oh, I'll take Anton Mountain any day and twice on Sunday. Oh, I 100% agree with you there, Don. <laughs> what? Okay. What the hell are you even talking about? All right. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, Byron, uh, please plug your social medias, your creations, your everything that makes you Byron. Oh, well, you guys can uh, can find me on Twitter uh, at Byron Lafayette, uh, as well as um, on Facebook, both my personal profile and my fan page. Uh, you can friend me or, or like me, either one. Uh, I'm also on uh, on Vero, um, and I also am on Letterboxd. I forgot to mention that the last episode, so feel free to follow me on there. Uh, if you are interested in reading uh, my articles or, or my essays that I do, um, I uh, write for uh, 25 Years Later, um, along with Don. And uh, I also do do different uh, essays and articles for What Culture uh, and my own uh, website of viralhair.com. Hey, you didn't mention that commie thing you do. What's that? What's that? Uh, oh, Russian? Bureau? What's that? What's, yeah, what's that? What's that Russian leftist thing you do? I came with bureau. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, okay, well. Byron, uh, two episodes in, or one and a half, or one, depending on how the technical stuff shakes out. Uh, we really appreciate you being on here. Uh, awesome viewpoints. You changed my mind on stuff uh, in, a, in an episode, which I appreciate. Um, so that's it for Cinephile. Let's. I want you guys to follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from. We have interesting hosts, wonderful guests. We even have a live event that we recorded, which will be on the... um, feed soon so look out for that all available on itunes spotify and anywhere you find your favorite shows byron thanks for being on here guys thank you